friends it's your midweek chapo uh this is a sort of it's it's ash wednesday it's ash wednesday today and i hope you're all repenting for listening to this show as much as you do but for us today it's amber wednesday hello amber hey and in fact doing? it's just me and amber this is like sort of like a you know, an interview, a one-on-one show. You mm-hmm. know, a tete-a-tete. A tete-a-tete. You know, sort of like uh, you know Charlie Rose, but I'm definitely not Charlie Rose. I, I, think, I take that back immediately. I think you're more of a Dick Cavett. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And I'm a Richard Burton. There you. Go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But um, I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad uh, we got we got Amber uh, back in the cut because um, you have been doing some uh, traveling, but yep. also I want to get to that in a second. But also you were. While we were at CPAC, <laughs> you were at Bernie's, you know, big campaign kickoff rally right here in Brooklyn. At, was it Brooklyn? Was it Brooklyn City College? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was way out in like Midwood, which is not a place. Um, and it was freezing and it was still packed. It well, was amazing. Like I said, I, 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 I wanted to get you on because coming off our, you know, mega trip to hell episode... Yeah, <laughs> where we you know spent the weekend you know yeah crossing the river Styx basically. You over the last both in the weekend and or in the week leading up to that, basically could not have had the more diametrically opposed experiences mm-hmm. to what we were spending our time doing. I did Be- the opposite of CPAC. You did the exact opposite of CPAC, where as we said on the episode, the their big boogeyman has always been, but this year especially more than others, is socialism. Mm-hmm. And they were like, whatever you want. I'm going to try to do Felix's Jerry Falwell voice. Well, you want to come take my cows. You should try to go to Venezuela where we got no cows there. Yep. Or, you know, the big, the big line uh, among uh, conservatives about socialism is like, oh, Brooklyn latte sipping iPhone haver. Like, if you love socialism so much, why don't you go live in a socialist country? And uh, you you didn't go to, you didn't move there, but you certainly went to one. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about Cuba. Thought about staying. I'm talking about Cuba. Oh, Cuba. Like, yeah, they I say, would, I say Havana would now. I'm one of those people. <laughs> what do you it say? says Habana. Habana. Cuba. <laughs> Cuba. One of those assholes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if they had let you stay there, or expatriate? <laughs> Do you think you might uh, make that choice? Actually, I've I had this conversation before I ever went to Cuba because I have um, I have you know right wing family um, and I eschew the uh, advice of uh, the the Twitterati and I do not spend all my time screaming at them. I have conversations with them. And one of the big things they did ask always, which was my grandpa in particular, was like, well, did you want to live in Cuba? And the answer is that, no, now I don't want to live in Cuba because now I have money. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, it's better to have money in America, but it's worse to be poor in America. So if you had asked me this a few years ago when I was still on food stamps, I'd be like, yeah, fuck it. It'd be the same thing, except there'd be beaches I'll boil water. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I want to get to your uh, to your Cuba trip, but 
Yeah, no, um, the uh, the right wing friends and, and and relatives uh, conundrum. I feel like with family, I mean, obviously some of them can be such assholes that it is necessary to just you know. But like friends, yeah, I've only sh- got the one. Yeah, though. everyone else I can pretty much talk to, and there's the one guy who's a giant asshole, and we all just kind of give him the side. But like family, I guess, like you have no choice for that. You spent your like most of your life with these people. There's no replacing them. But friends is interesting. Like I have one like sort of longtime friend who is a Trump voter and a uh, supporter mm-hmm. and like, but I've known him since kindergarten. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, I don't see him that often now, but it's like, I'm not going to like, hang. I'm not going to stop being friends with them. But then yeah. again, now in my thirties, like I'm not taking any new applications for friends who yeah. uh, voted for Donald Trump. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like, I'm not going to throw his grandfathered in. Yeah. yeah. He's grandfathered. In. I'm not going to throw overboard a guy. I've been, grew up with and, yeah. uh, you know, generally still like his company. Also, that doesn't do anything. I don't yeah. know. How narcissistic are you that you think that like, well, if I withhold my friendship, they'll <laughs> become a socialist. If I just take my ball and go home, everyone has to agree with me because I'm so fucking cool that if I'm missing, everyone's going to miss me. No, they won't. They'll um, just find better friends. Well, uh, I do want to get to your experience in, in Cuba because I was uh, very jealous of that. But uh, first, I want to talk about the uh, yeah the Bernie rally, which I meant you know this is this is the pure contrast between the you know Nuremberg rally that we <laughs> on Saturday, where except you know instead of talking about a thousand year Reich, Trump was you know talking about TiVo <laughs> and and all the beautiful handsome generals that he met and gives names to. God, Volkishness has become so tacky. It used they used to have style, you know, there was taste. <laughs> So, uh, tell me about um, just showing out uh, for Bernie on yeah. uh, on Saturday. Uh, well, Bernard made an excellent showing. You can uh, look at it yourself, of course. Like the crowd, you know, I think I've read it was like around thirteen thousand. Yeah, what it was estimated at. I was there. I was there and uh, short, and I was there with other short women, um, and so we had no sense of the crowd whatsoever. And also, I'm not good at estimating numbers, so I didn't know until after. So, wait, wait. So you're telling me you didn't immediately start berating the people in front of you to sit down because <laughs> that's no, what, I was that's too, what, I was too busy counting minorities <laughs> and I was what, pointing at them and counting and go one two you only count as half three three and a half then it's like oh fuck I lost count again because uh that's what the people at CPAC immediately did to oh, us yeah, when, yeah, when daddy course. Trump like, sit down please <laughs> really yeah oh, oh yeah God. oh yeah yeah so um so yeah, uh, so you, so you're you're in the crowd. Um, you you're doing your you know yeah. your census, your unofficial yeah. <laughs> unofficial doing a head count. You know, white guy versus uh, other. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, so uh, you know, you you do look around and you do notice the crowd, and it is Brooklyn, even though it's like Midwood, which is weird. Um, it, one of the things actually that I mean, I mean, it was it was racially diverse, obviously, but one of the things that I found even more encouraging is that it was generationally diverse. Because whenever you go to a um, political rally, and I hate political rallies, I do them because I feel a d- responsibility to them. But I, they're incredibly You're uncool. You're trying to pad out the crowd and and the ratio. So, we <laughs> <laughs> um, but I saw if you go to one of these things and you see nothing but like young people. If you if you see a crowd of millennials, you're like, oh well, this isn't going anywhere. Like, look, I like us, but let's be honest. It's a mile wide and an inch deep. <laughs> yeah, um, but you, I saw um, I saw like millennials. I saw younger people. I saw, saw some zoomers. I saw some zoomers. Saw some zoomers. I saw um, 
uh, like a lot of seniors and I saw a lot of families. I saw a lot of people who literally stuffed their children into those little marshmallow man snowsuits in the, in the cold snow to bring them out there to see baby's first Bernie rally. And it was very cute and it was very encouraging because again, there's no such thing as like a single generation pushed politician. You can't do that. And to see like the cross generational appeal, I was like, Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. It's not just a bunch of people that look like, no offense, you will. <laughs> it wasn't the, uh, the, uh, the Chapo show. Yeah. Uh, the Chapo contingency, yeah, if you will. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you were there like, did he, did they have any like, um, uh, sort of hype men or speakers before? Like what was the lineup? Oh yeah. He had a lot. Um, he had Nina Turner, uh, he had Sean King. Um, I mean, he he had like uh, too many in, uh, intro, intro acts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was to the point where like clearly the announcer was fucking with us. They did actually a pretty good job. Um, but also it's like, let's get to the main event here. Um, and at one point they're like, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and there was just someone else. And you're just like screaming at it. Jane, however killed it Jane, oh jane sanders oh my god yeah. also did she, did she protect and defend jane sanders at all costs <laughs> oh well did she introduce him was she the she one was before? the first speaker oh she was the first speaker yeah, so yeah. she kicked it off she yeah, was the she lead off kicked hitter. it off the crowd went wild everyone loves jane it's all about jane well you 2019 said pro- is jane's year you said protect and defend jane because uh i saw in in the twitter discourse uh, it was a back and forth about the, she said she was like uh proud to to be his wife uh-huh. and people were like this is this is this is fash. <laughs> this is fash as hell. Yeah. Um, well, there is a certain type of feminist that doesn't understand love if it doesn't build your resume. So um, they were uh, they were confused, uh, obviously, as they are. They were confused and angry. Um, what did, so what did what did she actually say? What were her remarks about? Uh, um, she said about it may not man. be politically correct. And she had a little laugh in it. it. May not be politically correct to identify myself as a wife, but it's one of uh, it's one of the uh, proudest achievements I have. Or something it's, it's like number that. one, wife. <laughs> number two, stealing a college. <laughs> number three, that third lake house when she got a toaster. With with, the, with her ill-gotten money Damn. for the lake house yeah. in Vermont, forget about it. She was like, "Yeah, no." She was like, "Karen and Goodfellas." <laughs> Bernie's like, "Okay, I'm going out to the rally," and she's like, "I need to buy another university, Bernie. Mm-hmm. How much? This much." I just want to show you guys real quick. Uh, somebody sent me a screenshot of Jane Sanders speaking with somebody wearing a Chapo T-shirt directly behind. <gasps> <laughs> Here, check it out. Look, this means that we are only a few. Oh, this is amazing. This means that we are only a few degrees of separation from Jane Sanders. <laughs> um, but other than other I've than- met Bernie Sanders before and I don't give a shit. I just want to meet Jane now because she she's first of all, I love a woman with a sense of humor. And clearly she's a bit of a troll. She started out with, I know this may not be politically incorrect. That is uh, politically correct. That is uh, that's a little dig, and I appreciate that, and I respect her. Jane is one of us. But what, Bernie I mean, isn't one of us. He's he's kind of a, more of a train guy, you know? <laughs> okay, so, you know, Jane kicked it off. There was uh, Nina Turner, Sean King. Uh, mm-hmm. Then it was, let, ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to Bernie. Everyone lost their shit. So, was a he, so, so when he, when he got up there, it was like he blew the doors off? Yeah, yeah, completely, yeah. And like I said, I am like five foot four, so I'm like kind of jumping up and down, and uh, and I could catch little little tiny wispy tops of the top of his head. But you 
knew when he was getting animated because, you know, he talks with his hands or whatever, and all of a sudden you would see over the many taller heads of mine like a little little Bernie swiping hand or whatever. So, um, But his speech was really great. Um, I think Bernie is really good about not leaning on autobiography. Um, he lets other people talk about him, and then he talks about policy, and he plays the hits. He completely, you know, we were all, we were all waiting for it. We were all waiting for the 1%, and he got to it, and it brought down the house. You know, please don't bore us. Get to the chorus. <laughs> uh, you didn't play Moon River, and then bam, <laughs> second encore. Um, so, yeah, so, like, th- this was his, his big, you know, campaign kickoff in his, his home borough. Uh, you yeah, say the hometown hero. Yeah, 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 yeah. A local boy makes good, comes back, runs for president. You said he played the hits, you know, the the one percent and the millionaires and the yeah. billionaires. He had a few extras. Like at one point, they were talking about a like playing a stickball. No, Jane was or whatever in, in in Brooklyn, and like my friend Jen leans over to me and she was like, "God, I forget they're so old. <laughs> <laughs> they're from the stickball generation. They are from the stickball generation." Um, so like yeah, I mean obviously they Jane's a Brooklyn girl too. They've been planning this for for months now. Like this is their rollout. Like what 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 was his pitch in that speech? I mean it, like I, I'm sure we're familiar with it, but like could you just like lean really heavily on unity? I think he did uh, a pretty good job of avoiding talking too much about Trump, uh, which I think is like what Democrats keep trying to lean on, even though it's one of the biggest failures in Hillary Clinton's, uh, you know, 2016 run. Um, he focused a lot on, um, inequality, obviously social welfare, you know, that's the, the, the basic, the Bernie package, if you will, the classic. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, I think he took a little bit of a swipe at kind of a red state, blue state determinism, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, obviously a big, uh, sort of liberal stumbling block. Like they love to say like, well, there are backward people and then there's us, which of course, you know, is, is uh, appealing if you're, if you're a coastal elite, which is a real thing. And he literally went with what was the Corbin thing. He's like, no district is unwinnable. This is a 50 state campaign. We're going for everybody. Um, it was a very kind of anti-elitist kind of uh, populist social democracy. How do you message. how do you think that differs from you know what was essentially Obama's pitch when he gave the oh the, he loved the, the, the speech at uh, the 2004 DNC that was his real coming out like that was like him becoming a national figure and set him up to run for president like his big speech was you know oh there's not a red America or a blue America there's there's a purple America. Yeah, and yeah. like, like, how did, how does actually all people are moderates? It's not quite the same yeah, thing. Yeah, as, yeah, exactly. Look, we have a program, and we think we can get people on board with this program because it speaks to working people, and most people are working people. You know, for Obama, it was just all about third wayism. And and you know, I think like uh, like Cory Booker now is I think cribbing from Obama heavily. Uh, yeah, and then it's just like he's like you know I love Felix is a. Uh, description of his tour of not offending anyone <laughs> yeah yeah and you know i mean i th- i think that that rhetoric of you know the you know there's no we're not red or blue americans there's just we're just americans is this kind of uh it's a way of circumventing the conflict yeah exactly, exactly. yeah um and again like there's a difference between not being overly deterministic about who votes for who because people are politically idiosyncratic they really are they're less, you know, tribalist than people um, think they are. Culturally, we can be very tribalist. 
But in terms of politics, you know, that's that's just not how people are. That's is not it's not a it's not a stagnant idea identity. Most people don't experience politics as some kind of identity. It's a means to an end. Um, most people aren't weird like us, where they get really into politics. They, you know, wait until they see what might be an opportunity for them to intervene and change their lives in a positive way. But most of the time, you know, they see it as a tool. I think that point about people being politically in, in idiosyncratic as opposed to cultural is, is really right on because, I mean, people do experience culture viscerally as an identity. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, that's why culture war is such it is such a big part of our politics. Right. And I think, you know, as far as the red state, blue state mm-hmm. goes, you know, I mean I, I think people uh who are like, oh why you know, why do you why do you vote against your interests or whatever do so because they do sense, I think not inaccurately, that liberals hate them and their culture. Yeah. You know, or not, not necessarily unjustified, but yeah. you know, like I mean that but is people a real, can sense their, their yeah. people can sense your contempt for them and they don't owe you votes. So, you know, if you're running on purely like, I don't know, sophistication and elitism, why on earth would they vote for you? Especially since you're associated with a party that has like undermined the stability of the working class in America for the past like 40, 50 years. And obviously, that's been a bipartisan effort. But like if yeah. both parties are going to do that, you're going to vote for the party that, um, you know, plays to your cultural uh, totems like you know yeah yeah if that's all you have i mean in yeah i think that's it the, the culture wars sort of occur in a political uh like dead space and, and that when was politics a, are happening they can smash the culture wars and then was it it was in 2008 or, or 12 i forget i remember obama got in a lot of trouble for like the the one thing he said that i thought was actually fairly politically accurate was the line about like clinging to guns and religion oh, which yeah, like yeah. sounds uh, condescending but I mean really what he was saying with like or I don't know if he was intending to say that but like the truth there is that like as the working like the rep, rep, politics representing right. a working class is you know vanishes then yeah you will yeah. turn to the things that working you class identity to. is like the um, concession prize for working class politics if you can't make politics that work for the working class then you're going to develop all these political or all these pseudo political uh, cultural and social signifiers that stand in for that. Now, they're not worth shit, obviously, but at least they make you not feel like shit about yourself. Now, compare that to, you know, those, again, I think I think Obama was very ham-fisted about that, but he was trying to sort of point to a real phenomenon. Like, why on earth would you associate with a party who leads with a stick instead of a carrot? you know, regardless of what you think their policies are going to be. And say what you will about, like, you know, the republican base kind of, you know, hillbilly voters, they let you feel good about yourself. And you can't, like, I don't know, abuse someone into politically agreeing with you, unless they went to grad school, because those people are all piss <laughs> <laughs> Um So, yeah, uh a, a cold, a cold ass day in Brooklyn. Uh, huge turnout. So cold, huge turnout. And then uh, I did notice that um, he immediately went to, uh, w- I think Wisconsin and Chicago. And my favorite thing about these now is like I, I, I saw it of course in the Brooklyn thing. Everyone who wasn't there was just like, "Wow, this is in the heart of Brooklyn, and there's not a single black person there." Great job, That's Bernie. Just not true. Yeah, I mean yeah. things that are farcically false. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And then he and then Zerlina Maxwell, that lizard person <laughs> saying like Bernie didn't talk about race until it's like, first of all, he had multiple black speakers even before him. And second of all, like, yes, he did very early in the speech. And third of all, why are your eyes that far apart? Um, no, yeah, it's like you, you set the stopwatch as soon as he starts talking. Like, yeah, also, what? like, it's freakish that you measure political messaging that way, too. <laughs> like, it's just insane. It also, like, completely, you know, it denies, it denies the possibility of common interests, which it, is her whole thing. Uh, yeah, I, I did see that from, from her and many other people, but I, I really liked, okay, so he... You know, then he uh, he he did out and did a couple of other huge rallies. Uh, and the one in Chicago, I think there was like ten thousand people yeah, there or something yeah, like that. It was another, also, another, very cold. Even fucking colder than New York, <laughs> I'm sure. And the thing with that was, I saw I saw it. I'm not familiar with Chicago, but it was held in a neighborhood called Navy Pier, mm-hmm. which is sort of like I guess like a sort of upscale, gentrified area near mm-hmm. the the lake or whatever. Uh, but I saw a ton of people again. These are not people who are doing this seriously or, you know, attempting to make any kind of critique. They're just looking for anything. And they just kept saying, like, uh, incredible that you would hold it in a neighborhood that's only 4% black <laughs> and not accessible by public transit. Like, he's cutting, you know, he's like, this is his message, but he's making it impossible for <laughs> poor working class, you know, black people to come see him. And they're like, of course, you know, everyone points out that, of course, this neighborhood is not inaccessible via public transportation. Yeah. There's a bus and like a, you know, a CTA line that goes there. And then you like, you tell these people things and then they just like immediately switch and move on. They're like, yeah, but you know, it's still not good. And I just like for these people as you know, this campaign kicks off and he continues to, as he has done in times past, attract very large crowds and particularly a lot of very motivated young people uh, you're going to get this kind of shit, and you just have to ask, like, is there any way he could hold a rally that's big and gets news coverage that would not that would be okay for these people? Yeah. And the answer is no. Of course yeah. not. Yeah. He, he's not holding rallies any different than any of the other oh, Democratic yeah. contenders or in places any different. Like, Oh, Bernie Sanders is bad on women. Okay, well, here's the woman he's married to talking about how proud she is. Well, she's bad now. Like, there's literally nothing. So don't, like, you know, bang your head against a brick wall trying to have conversations with people who are clearly not interested in conversation. So, yeah, uh, just was, any, was there anything that uh, surprised you at all? Or is this just, like, v- vintage Bernie? You sort of got what you expected and you were... Honestly... I was actually kind of worried that he would try and be like, this is the new Bernie. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, uh, there was like a calm down bit. Like, what if he just ran off of Hillary's campaign and won and just like, I've been learning how to nay <laughs> And it's like, it would be horrifying. Um, so I'm glad that he's Bernie. Like, well, this is what people wanted. Nobody wants something new and fresh. That the, the obsession with kind of innovation and spontaneity, that's very neoliberal. We already know what we want. He introduced the program, and now he just needs to run on the program, which appears to be what he's doing. Uh, to that point, though, uh, I will say one thing about uh, new Bernie, and this is one of the uh, sort of uh, anti-Bernie uh, conspiracy theories, or it's not even a conspiracy theory. It's just something that they're uh, pushing on now. Uh, Bernie, this time around, has definitely gotten smoother. 
Oh, I this, heard that. This is a smoother Bernie. I, I mean, gotta it, say though, he still looks like shit. I think he's <laughs> no. I mean, like I think th- I, I. This is the woman who wanted to fuck Beto, right? Who I was one of the, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's one of them. Okay, They're- so for a woman not to understand how lighting works on a selfie, first of all, is very disappointing. But I assure you, ladies and gentlemen. Bernie Sanders still looks like shit. I promise. <laughs> I I I buy it. I well, certainly he's combing his hair more, so that's smoothed back. But I, <laughs> I, I think I think he has got a little. They bought Botox. him a comb for the campaign. I think he has got a little Botox in the forehead because you know I think Botox. I think and you know uh, you know I'm okay with that. I, I I would prefer not to see the smooth Bernie. But Felix kept saying when we were on the trip, he was like, "Mods are asleep. Everybody posts those smooth Bernies," and I've just. <laughs> I can't stop laughing about the smooth Bernies, <laughs> and uh, I just well, think, like, it must have worn off because. Well, have you seen him lately? <laughs> you know, I think like you know, if anything, like the critique of Bernie uh, last time around is like he, uh, he when he started out, he was not running to to win the Democratic yeah, primary, yeah. and I think this time he's just like, okay, we're pulling out all this stuff. I'm, I'm yeah. going. This is the only chance. Like I'm going for it as hard as possible, and if that means I have like some image consultants in my ear being like, Bernie, let's. Let's just smooth you out. Let's put your head smooth in the shino ballo for like a good five to ten seconds, so you know, so you don't look as old as you actually are. Because like you know, <laughs> you know that, that that you know that that that's a problem if you're seventy seven years old running for president. Yeah. You know, but I mean, Donald Trump is what like seventy six. Like how old is he? Seventy two. I, I actually know. wouldn't trust Donald Trump's own uh, age. age. Yeah. You know, I'm sure he identifies as a certain age. Right. I don't. Yeah. No, I didn't get that one just because I thought like. Like you would see pictures other than the, that thing, and I'm like, no, 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 he still looks like shit. But I don't know. I, if he did, I don't really care. Well, I'm just yeah. saying, I'm breaking down all the latest Bernie images, like right. the Zapruder film. Right. And I gotta say, you know, just for fairness' sake, I, I think he's gotten, a, I think he's you gotten think he's smoother. Got a little tweak. I think he's gotten a little smooth Bernie. I think he's got yeah. just yeah, a little tweak. Yeah. You know, well, maybe he just like you know stopped by L.A. Got the vampire facial with Kim Kardashian. <laughs> you don't know needles were involved. I mean, there's lots of ways. Uh, Jane and I are drinking the moon dust every morning. <laughs> he's just like, yeah, he's best friends with Amanda Chantal Bacon now. <laughs> <laughs> Bernie, she's mine. Back off. Um, so, yeah, I, I, want, I want to come back to, to Bernie a little bit. But, but before there, um, let's talk about uh, your other, and I think probably even more interesting uh, contrast with the fucking CPAC crowd in National Harbor, Maryland. Uh, you spent like a week in... Havana? Yeah, I did. So um, for, first of all, like, how did you get down there? So first of all, it's super fun because in order to get a travel visa there, you have to, there are like, I think 16 different um, government sanctioned reasons that you're allowed to visit Cuba because you can't just be like, I'm going on vacation. Government sanctioned from their government or ours? Ours. Okay. What is this? Thing? Is, is there, I'm sure it's negotiated between them, but you have to fill it out here. So, but like, can you not go for purely tourist reasons? No, I don't think you ever could actually. So I went on a, on an official press visa, which is like I've mentioned this slightly before, but this is actually this is the last thing that's going to be the chapter in a book I'm writing, um, and because I wanted to cover kind of the last holdout of this weird isolated holdout of Cold War communism. And so my friends got to fill out a much cooler visa. I had the pr- official press visa. They had, and I'm not kidding, you can sign this there, to support the Cuban people, <laughs> which is just a cool thing to put on a form or whatever. And we did, there were some like friends of family members that we did 
like it was actually true. Please don't lock me in Guantanamo, which is right there, by the way. Um, like we did, uh, there's like over the counter medications that are like, um, you can get them, but like they're not over the counter there. And so it's like dumb little things that are difficult to manufacture on a tiny, poor island nation you can bring over there. And the weird thing about Cuba is that like it's really poor. <laughs> like you can't, I cannot stress that enough. Like almost every complaint anyone I spoke to has about it is that like we don't have enough money. Now, there are some things where, like, well, we wish this was slightly more democratic and people have different definitions of democracy. Um, but the big complaint with people I talk to, including people, because I sort of uh, talk to people about sort of, you know, successes and shifts in cultural liberalization just with things like gay rights, the big thing that they're like, no, the big thing is that, like, we don't have a lot of money and it's a problem. <laughs> Nonetheless, I was really shocked at how well things kind of worked. I mean, what they do with virtually nothing is insane. The cars being probably the most famous example. Yeah, they're just there and they're still running. And, you know, every once in a while they have to get spark plugs. I mean, obviously it was different during the Soviet Union, which regardless of how you feel about the Soviet Union, the fall of the Soviet Union was a world historic tragedy. And it didn't just affect that country. Like the Soviet Union offered like aid and support to all kinds of countries that were being, you know, oppressed in some degree or another by the U.S. So right after the fall of the Soviet Union, they suddenly, ha Cuba suddenly had to uh, introduce uh, like kind of restrictive food rationing and they called it like the lean years or whatever. And still, when you go there, the big complaint about Cuba is like the food is terrible or whatever. Um, the, that's a complicated distinction. The cuisine is very good. It's very good Latin American food. It's just that you might show up and say, I'll have the pork, and they'll say, mm, we're out. And you'll say, I'll have the beef, and they'll say, yeah, none of that. We have fish <laughs> and we have chicken or whatever. Um, so it's like it's a little island nation that is cut off from the world by design, uh, and they still manage to have like, you know, no, like nutritional needs are met. Everyone has healthcare, education, housing. You see shits falling apart here and there, but you spend the whole time performing this strange kind of whataboutery where it's like, well, you know, you have to like buy bottled water or boil your water and you're like, okay, but if you live in Flint or Pittsburgh, you can't burn it. You can't boil it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's got metal <laughs> yeah, in it. Yeah. It's not you, that we need If you need boil it, it'll like a coin will form <laughs> on the bottom or something. Yeah. yeah you'll make diamonds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, like I was in Old Havana, which is like the very kind of um, the part that's really falling apart, and you're still like, yeah, this is still better than East New York. <laughs> like, and it's really difficult not to fall into that kind of like what a battery um, when you're there because it's like it's beautiful and. What do you mean in terms of like the what a battery? So what a battery or what aboutism is uh, sort of the the term for uh, how people would say, defend the Soviet Union by bringing up the crimes of uh, American capitalism, you know. Or vice up, versa. Like, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, exactly, or vice versa. The big example that people would use uh, was there was this very famous Soviet poster that translated to, but you lynch Negroes, though, <laughs> which is like, yeah, they got you there. <laughs> Show me the they lie. They got you yeah. there. Um, and... Fundamentally, you're looking at a, 
you know, I saw a country that's, I don't know, like people, people are complaining about the government the way we complain about ours, but no one's in the kind of crisis mode. Um, I was there when they were introducing um, a new constitution. It's kind of difficult to anticipate. They've already liberalized in some ways. They've opened up the housing market, which may or may not be somewhat disastrous. But, like, the biggest problem has nothing to do with the way the state is arranged. The biggest problem is that, like, they're poor and they're cut off from what might be sort of lucrative trade and have been historically by the United States. I mean, I remember someone telling me, like, the the difference between Cuba and other Latin American countries like the Dominican Republic or others is that like, yeah, like it's a poor country. Like a lot of these countries are poor, but if you go to the Dominican Republic, like all the best beaches are owned by gigantic mm-hmm. hotels and casinos exactly. Exactly. and foreign companies and are completely shut off to anyone who lives there. And in Cuba, like just the beaches are, you can just go to the beach. Just go to the beach. We just like, you know, we just, hired a guy for some number of pesos we didn't understand uh, to drive us in like a 1940s red convertible that he would have to stop every once in a while and kind of tune up a little bit to the beach. And also like the big criticisms that people made is sort of about like cultural liberalizations. I think we should be clear that the culture. What are the critiques of cultural liberalization like for or against? Or, or, or to say that the only way you can provide something like, say, feminism or gay rights or whatever is through capitalism, which mm-hmm. is absolutely absurd. The trajectory of, of kind of the, the, you know, we'll say original kind of liberal values, enlightenment liberal values, mm-hmm. exist of on individual a, rights and yeah, things like that. Yeah. Exist on a completely different track than kind of these social and economic projects a lot of the times. Sometimes they help each other. Sometimes they clash. Sometimes they just develop completely independently. But I was there with homos, and we went to, a, like, a couple beaches that might have well been fucking Fire Island. Like, these things are not cut and dry. And I think people look at sort of, like, cultural developments and, um, you know, social rights and social justice, social movements and they try and attach them to economic projects. Now, I'm very economistic, so I think those things do have a relationship. But what tends to happen is people um, become, let's say, overly deterministic about like what capitalism has provided us and what maybe other material factors have provided us in terms of you know, feminism or gay rights or something like that. And anyway, I think it's pretty obvious that like, capitalism wasn't particularly good for anti-racism. It's just, anyway, I'm arguing with people that aren't there, that aren't here right now. But um, it it was just very interesting. Like, um, you sort of uh, talk to people. I'm like, well, one of the big things uh, people talk about in, you know, academic settings about Cuba is like, you know, queer histories of Cuba. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. We're just kind of gay here and you know we use grinder and like, they do they have they have grinder yeah they have grinder but they said that there's a lot of actually someone i talked to said that there's a lot of like um sort of like wealthy tourists who come in is like he's like they assume we're like desperate impoverished third world little fairies that they can like you know basically make into rent boys and he's like no we we're doing okay um but yeah obviously Cuba is this sort of anachronism in that it's, yeah, this, this small island nation that has managed to 
create a socialist government. It's in the, like ninety the, miles off of Florida. I mean, throughout the entire Cold War, it's so weird, which yeah. is insane. I mean, Matt and I uh, talk alternate history theories, mm-hmm. and one of his, and we might do an episode on this. But one of his interesting things would have, was that if Nixon had won, had beaten Kennedy, uh, we probably would have invaded Cuba and maybe probably. also Vietnam, but like, or maybe yeah. invaded Cuba first. Probably. I mean, it's right there. It's literally right there. It's weird how short the flight was from Miami. And and you know, and then of course all of the hilarious stories about the hundreds of attempts to assassinate Castro by the CIA. Sorry, but he died of old age. Guess what? He won. (laughs) But you know, I mean, of course, like in 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 American uh, political discourse from like the the right and even from liberals is that you know. Oh, like uh, you have this like rose colored view of Cuba, but it's actually like a, you know, poor totalitarian country. Mm-hmm. I mean, you said it's obviously like it's a poor country, but, you know, what was your experience of talking to Cubans about how they think about their government and socialism? You know, we only had like a few conversations and obviously you want to, you know, uh, not risk the Thomas becoming Friedman. a Thomas yeah. Friedman or whatever. Uh, but we talked to a few people who, you know, um, had big criticisms of the government and they would just say it really loudly and they're like oh this new constitution like I want it to go f- you know further and it should be going faster and there was I know one person voted against it because um, they said it wasn't enough and he's like it's going to win but you know I want it I want more advances and people had sort of different takes on it um so they I, wanted more liberal reforms of just the people you talk to or uh, or is it just it, hard it, to it, sort of they want more like democracy was usually the things that they phrase but that means something different to different people when i talk to them um so like we talked to one guy who was like yeah well we're this is like the first referendum we've had on our constitution and you know it's not it's not like america and i said you know we've never had a popular vote on our constitution (laughs) and it's this weird thing where i think on some level he was talking to about like uh because they they have telesur there um he's like well i get like i got the oscars pirated and i was like queen but like uh he was like well you know he was complaining again yeah Yeah, i mean did they like green book though oh my god (laughs) this weird thing is that like uh I try so hard to hide from the Oscars that it's weird to think of someone seeking it out. Yeah. Or doing a Twitch stream about it. Yeah. Uh, but it was, um, again, you end up doing these kind of, you know, what about or what about is when I was like, you know, we've never had a referendum on our constitution. Our constitution is considered completely sacred and the way they kind of, um, I don't know. They sort of crowdsourced the the new constitution where they had in in Havana and in central places and then in rural places they would have like basically town halls or they would meet at the local church or whatever and they would say here's what we are thinking of introducing and then people would give their feedback and then they would go back and they would sort of rewrite it. So what they put together was heavily amended by popular opinion. Now you can argue whether or not that's the best way for democracy to work or whatever, but that's more democratic than the relationship we have to our constitution by a long shot. The fact that they even get to vote on a new one is way more democratic. And, you know, uh, we've, we've been talking on this show uh, over the last couple of weeks a lot about the whole, you know, Elliot Abrams and our, this country's history in central mm. and, and, you know, Latin, yeah. uh, central and Latin America. Uh, we know, we you know, we know we, if we 
could have, we were trying to fucking go to war with Cuba and overthrow Castro. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't do that, but we did do that to a lot of Central and South American countries. And it's like, yeah, since the Cuban Revolution, um, Castro, uh, yeah, he did execute a lot of political prisoners. He did throw a lot of people mm-hmm. in jail. He did do some, you know, things that are totalitarian and dictator-like, right. again, under the circumstances. But who runs Guantanamo? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, like, here's the thing. Like, I'm sorry just based on a pure like numbers scale of violence yeah. and repression Let's look at the scoreboard like it utterly pales in comparison to what you know was done in Guatemala and yeah. El Salvador and Honduras oh my God, and, yeah. and Nicaragua like the scale of violence that were inflicted on uh not just like the left wing but just peasants in those countries mm-hmm. is breathtaking to compare to any of the worst things Castro did. Yeah. And again, this is what about ism too. Uh, it's can, you know, really difficult but, not to fall into that yeah. though, because you know, you and I have spent our whole lives basically um, being kind of indoctrinated against the threat of communism or whatever. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like dare or like just say no or whatever. And it's like, well, now I really want to try it. Like, and then you try it and you're like, holy shit, this rules. Obviously, they don't want me to do this. And you have a little bit of an overcorrection period. I think a lot of people do where they're like, whatever, man, this rules. And it's just like, no, politics are complicated. But if you do a cost benefit analysis here, I think the world is a better place because of the Cuban revolution. Uh, Just a few other things about uh, Cuba that I saw, you know, absorbed through your trip through photos. Uh, they do. They have a statue of Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, they do. The absolute boy. He's <laughs> just sort of the great emancipator. Yeah, I mean, he's considered a a, a great. I mean, also like that. I I collect pictures of or, or or monuments to Lincoln from like uh different places, and it's always really cool shit. There's one. There's a Lincoln. Um, there's a Lincoln statue in Manchester next to a huge like. Uh, labor monument and we kind of take for granted that Lincoln was a guy who like fought a war to keep the you know country together but no I mean he is he was a great emancipator and Cuba had its own you know uh, its own history of slavery and so it's like yeah Lincoln right side of history he was a comrade Um, and this was in by the way the museum of the revolution a bust of Lincoln it's nice. It's it's way less. People are way less anti-American than you would think. There are Americans that they love. They're generally the Americans that sort of improve or you know create more egalitarian conditions in America. And uh, just what what was your what was your favorite thing that you did in Cuba? Well, the rum is very good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean like here's the thing: we had to do like actual vacation beach day shit. Um, which doubled as research for me because we went to like gay beaches or whatever and I'm writing about kind of, you know, civil rights type issues um, in communist countries as well. Um, And the beaches, oh my God. It is, we live in such an ugly place, Will. We live (laughs) in the ugliest place in the world. It's so mean and so ugly and it makes the people mean and ugly. Um, no, it just looks like a postcard or whatever. So it's just like, oh, if you just had access to the ocean, it would act like all the time, it would actually kind of change your entire brain chemistry. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's just very beautiful and very social and, um, you know, uh, like the, whatever the slower kind of Caribbean pace of people, 
you know, sipping tons and tons of very strong coffee all day and their cats and dogs just sort of sleeping on the streets that you can like pet. And I don't know. It's just, it's a, it's a cool fucking town. Like <laughs> politics aside, uh, it's a very cool town and just, you know, take the, take the taxi out to the beach and remember that when you have to go back to the hellhole of New York in the winter, that this place still exists and they're still trying to hold it down for communism. Wonderful. Okay. So, um, Moving, uh, moving on from uh, Amber's uh, excellent uh, Cuban adventure and vac- vacation, or uh, workcation. Workcation. Um, back to. Uh, I to- wasn't there merely to support the Cuban people. Will <laughs> I had a press visa. Uh, but back to uh, America and the uh, politics of the day that are currently uh, roiling uh, our country and the left in particular. I'm talking back to the. Um, ongoing and uh, as I think we've well established by now entirely fraudulent controversy over Ilan Omar and her criticisms of the American government and its policy towards Israel um, this is still ongoing but what I want to talk about now is um, you know you've probably seen a lot of this in my opinion uh, AOC's um, response to this has been pretty bad in my opinion and this is you know something that like I don't want to make it seem like, oh, she sucks. She's fucking sold out already. Uh, you're, uh, you're an idiot, or I was an idiot for ever supporting her. And you like, can't just do that, be like a total fucking yeah. uh, downer. But um, she has tripped over her own dick, however. Yeah, and like I said, I'm I'm rooting for her. I'm I'm hoping that we can get a better better response from her. But like, what's particularly disappointing about her response to this is. I'm afraid to say, in my opinion, it is indicative of her overall trajectory. And by that, I mean, if she can be cajoled into sort of saying, you know, taking a kind of both sides or just pretending that like there was something there that should be apologized in the first place. Right. Okay. So it's one of two things. Okay. Okay. So, and I'm going to be gentle about this. I don't think it's the first thing. It's that she's cynical and she's thinking, this is what I have to say to get ahead or she's naive and says, Oh, I, these people were, their feelings were really hurt. I should, you know, do the right thing and, you know, uh, you know, respond and acknowledge that they were hurt. Now, I don't know which one is actually worse. Obviously cynical is morally worse, but politically, if you're that naive, it is a problem. So, Here's hoping that she realizes that, again, just like the idea of a struggle session is always worth remembering because when you were, uh, you know, beat into a false confession, the Communist Party would get you to say something that you didn't do wrong. They're just going to execute you anyway. So don't do it. Like, that's huge. So, like, hopefully she will get out of this that, I guess... I don't know, abdicating any ground to these people or or pretending like they're not disingenuous isn't going to get her anywhere. But I don't know. My big problem is that I think she's too online. She has online poisoning and she needs to stop tweeting because she doesn't she doesn't well, understand that online isn't real life. <laughs> well, we were talking about this earlier. She needs to honestly uh, take a lesson from Donald Trump and use Twitter the way he does, yeah. which is just, you know, uh, log on, just call people losers and never respond or acknowledge anything because what she's doing right now is engaging in like every conversation 
with people who are, you know, not in any way, shape, or form her allies or are rooting for her. And I want to be clear, like, I think most of the people... I don't think she knows who her allies the, are. The, the vast majority I think she of people, would have endorsed Bernie by now if she knew who her allies are. Uh, for, leaving aside the, the Bernie in, in endorsement or to endorse or not endorse, uh, you know, all the people who are, who are being hard on AOC based on her responses to this, which in my opinion have been wishy-washy and just counterfactual to the... the what what I think, I think she threw Omar under the bus. I think she kind of did, and um, I'm being hard on her because, like, I consider myself a supporter of hers. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't think supporting a politician means that you just have to like shut up and go along with to get along, yeah, or whatever. I'm hoping to use a cliche that she'll do better on this because I think it is if you can be nudged on something as clearly phony bullshit, which this was, mm-hmm. then I'm I'm sorry. I got to say. I I have to question how hopeful I am that you're you know not going to be nudged on other issues, mm-hmm. right? I know like Israel Palestine is sort of like could seem like an inscrutable or a like niche issue to the American voters, but I think it is like it's overall indicative of how you um of where the sort of well, fault and lines and who's who's colleagues. in and out when it comes to things like empire and capital, and I you can't really straddle the fence on on this one. And I, I would have loved to have seen a much a forthright defense of her that just said, you know, what she said wasn't wrong, and I'm back her 100. percent That would seem pretty easy. Or honestly, not talk about it. Yes, if exactly. It's, if, it's, if you think it's going to make if it's difficult for you to talk about a hot button issue, you can just not tweet about it. I, I mean, know she's all alone out there, and like it must be extremely disorienting. And um, she apparently tends to measure her sort of political influence by hearts and retweets, which is a big problem. Um, but if she'd have said nothing, I'd been like, all right, that's fine. Um, but she did the whole. What she did is said she wasn't calling Omar out. She was calling her in, which, by the way, is the cultiest sounding shit in the world. That is the most like, look, we're doing this for you because we want to improve you. We want to help you be the best you. That's deeply manipulative, weird fucking social justice cult speak. And then she went on to say, like, this is why I'm defending Omar. So she said, here's what Omar did wrong, which she didn't do anything before wrong. I get And to here's why I'm surveyed. defending her. <laughs> She's I'm... like, and here's why I'm defending her, which you didn't defend her. Like, neither of those things. You were trying to, like, thread the needle that it was unthreadable. Yeah, and, and I mean, it gets, down, and it gets back to this idea, is if, you've, you know, if you followed her, her commentary on this at all, it's this idea that about talking to communities and you can't tell people what to feel. And if Actually, from, you can. You can call people from, histrionics and liars. And, and, we, and we've talked about this. If someone just says like, oh, this is like, you know, this is my community. This is like, I, you know, speaking for the Jewish community, you know, we... Uh, I'm a, oh, well, like I'll, actually, I'm a critic of Israel too, but like the way she talks about this like makes me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And you just got to be like, tough shit. What she said wasn't anti-Semitic and it happens to be true. Yeah. Well, and also just the invocation of community is, you know, like Adolf Reed wrote about this extremely well, um, where the idea of community is like a weird reactionary concept that was built up by people so that they could find the representatives that most agree with power. They could find community representatives. And guess who those people are always going to be? Like, this is not, it's not like the community meets and like democratically elects a representative. Yeah. 
like capital picks who they decide who the community representatives are. Well, we, we talked about this earlier. Um, I'm picking, and in my Jewish community, that's Felix and Adam. So I'm only <laughs> going to follow what they think on this, which is, yeah. wow, actually surprisingly quite different than yeah. what I'm hearing about from other representatives of the Jewish community in America. Yeah, my Jews, when they're not, you know, yelling about Fortnite or, you know, well, I'm not even going to do anything to Adam. The world has done enough to him. But... Like they disagree with this, so like this is a completely arbitrary invocation. And okay, so but but back to we're beginning at the, the at the beginning. Uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, his reaction to this was probably, again, not as forthrightly uh, strong mm-hmm. as I would hope for. I I think there's room for improvement there, but he said, you know, I we stand with Muslim Americans basically, and what he didn't do was, or, or if he has. I'm sure you'll be telling me about it, but I have not seen anything from him or his campaign imply that Elon Omar has anything to apologize for. No, no, he didn't do that. He's a 10,000 year old Jew and he's better on Israel than, than oh. the, than the young millennial uh, New Yorker woman that should be savvy on these things. And I just want to point out uh, one more person who made the, the honor roll this week. Oh, yeah, also, this why a- does no one point out that Ilhan Omar is uh, trying to make a Jew the most powerful person in the world? Like, <laughs> um, Geraldo Rivera actually had a statement that was better than any elected Democrat I've seen on this. Geraldo Rivera <laughs> writes here, Congress is more ethnically diverse than ever. There's now two Muslim women members, including a Palestinian American. Is it really so curious or offensive that they have a different take on Palestine? Charges of anti-Semitism ring hollow when invoked to quash all criticism of Israel. That's Geraldo. If he can fucking say it. I, yeah. mean, I mean, Jesus Christ. He's like How difficult is that? Yeah, no, it's insane. Um, and I, again, I just, you know, I like we've talked a lot about this, but th- this, this controversy is ongoing. And just leaving aside, you know, it, the, the, the Israel-Palestine issues, I just think like this is very instructive about how for lack of a better phrase, the discourse is maintained and policed by elites and how like, you know, how who's in, in the tent and outside of the tent and how they get people basically on in line. Mm-hmm. And they do it through, yeah, like making it so that speaking plainly about anything becomes impossible because of tropes and words that you're not supposed to use or whatever. Yeah. And, and well, then, it's getting yeah. real bad in the UK too. And again, through this invocation of... Yeah, like uh, communities or uh, offending some vague group or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's just like we're all the way we've conditioned. I'm sorry, through the language of sort of social justice and identity politics to uh, give credence to the fucking most dishonest assholes on the planet. Yeah. I mean, anyone can say like this hurt me. So if you're going to buckle to that, like, again, I don't know if she's cynical or she's just naive. I hope that she's just naive because that means that she could potentially learn. If she's cynical, it means she's just willing to do anything to get ahead, which I'm just not prepared to, you know, uh, concede at this point about her character. Uh, But grow a bullshit detector or some balls or something like, yeah, they said that this hurt them. And you can't tell people how to feel. Yes, you can. You literally can. You can say you're histrionic and your response to this is absurd and I'm not listening to it or say nothing. And, you know, as far as AOC goes, I remember, you know, 
not that long ago, she was accused of being anti-Semitic for her statements denouncing the Israeli bombardment and blockade of Gaza. Mm-hmm. So all of those people were calling you anti-Semitic. Were they right? Were, did they have a valid point of view about the way you were talking about that issue? They had feelings. They, I mean, sure, everyone has fucking feelings, yeah. but it's just like... Or they claim to have feelings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, were they wrong? I mean, it... it, it should all of your colleagues and supporters sort of thrown you under the bus for that? Honestly, if you're to this point where you've been elected to a pretty high office in American politics and you can't think, oh, these people have political interests and they're lying, then I'm very concerned. Again, you can't just like throw someone out the first time they do something that upsets you because you will be eliminating popular politics immediately. Taking a, a broader view of this, like forget, leaving aside AOC and, 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 and Sanders and, and the politicians that, let's be honest, like I, I want to root for, I am rooting for. You know, like I want to have some stake in this and like these are, these are who we got. I want them to do better, but like I'm not going gonna, I'm not, I'm not gonna to throw them under the bus immediately yet. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I hope, I, I hope not. But I think what's going on right now is whether it's about economic populism or any kind of genuine uh, sort of break with America's role as imperial manager and hegemon. Mm -hmm. Certainly Israel is one of like the centerpieces of that. Yeah. Um, I think what's going on right now is whether it's like, forget the right wing. I just think in the elite circles of like media and government, there is a very concerted effort right now to make it so that any criticism of that is de facto out of bounds like any po- any kind of populist rhetoric or politics is becoming they want to make it so it is de facto yeah. illegitimate because it is either anti-semitic the overton, the overton or, window has gotten completely out of authoritarian hands. they're trying to reel it in like uh the overton window has expanded on again it's does i don't think it makes much sense to um discuss politics in a like a linear spectrum way but like on both sides or whatever like right wingers are emboldened to be more right wing and left wingers are emboldened to be more left wing and i think they're desperately trying to shrink that box again from both sides and as far as uh like the anti-semitism thing goes in in, in a time now where like there there is an an uptick in anti-semitism and violence and things like that i mean that pittsburgh you know 11 people were massacred in pittsburgh Mm -hmm. by a fucking neo-nazi right-wing lunatic but again let's be clear about who's the one shooting up synagogues and mosques it's not people who are advocating it's alexandra ocasio cortez yeah (laughs) it's not people advocating bds and the person who fucking killed all those people in pittsburgh was doing it specifically because he believed that that synagogue was and accurately so was a part of an effort to resettle refugees like ilan omar in america yeah that this is what the people are doing and again yeah this is as clear as day so don't let these people fucking um just convince you through your natural instincts to be like a, a good person and not offend anyone into this idea that um, actually anti-Semitism on the left is just as dangerous or as Barry Weiss said on The View this week, even more dangerous than the kind that fucking killed 11 people in Pittsburgh because mm. it's like, you know, it's more insidious or or it right instead of just hating Jews, they say, they're saying they love Palestinians and that's, you know, I'm paraphrasing her, but she said the anti-Semitism of the left is more dangerous because it, it you know, speaks in the language of human rights or, or something insane like that. And again, who is shooting up mosques and synagogues? Why are they doing it? Yeah. 
It's not fucking people who are advocating BDS or for Palestinian rights or even like a one-state solution to Israel. It's not people who want to help refugees or speak out against, you know, anti-immigrant or, you know, anti-Muslim hatred in this country. You know, there used to be like this, this is like maybe a 20, an internet 2013 uh, concept of concern trolling, yeah. you know, where you're just like, look, I'm just very worried um, about you and, you know, about how you're behaving and about how you're acting. So it's a, it's a way of singing, seeming benevolent when in fact you are manipulating someone uh, by making them insecure. This is a very basic concept and somehow people are missing it. I don't know what happened that we became so gullible that we're like, well, you know, Barry Weiss is really scared of anti-Semitism. No, she's not. <laughs> yeah. She's fine. She's fine. Like, there are a lot of people in this country who are not fine, but they're not Barry Weiss. And I don't know what happened or why people suddenly felt like, you know, some kind of social obligation to uh, pretend like every histrionics wounded bird act was in some way authentic. It's bullshit. It's like in the NBA or it's like, no, even better in flopping. soccer. It's flopping. They're are flopping. Are you flopping? Yeah. <laughs> um, I blame the Europeans. <laughs> So I, I, I hope, you know, when people listen to this episode and they're like, oh, my God, Chapo slams AOC, people will understand that, you know, I, I'm doing this as someone who regards myself as her supporter and I would like to see really? her. I thought it would be the opposite. I thought people would be like, why aren't you calling for AOC to be gulagged? But, well, both. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe people are saying I'm being too hard on her or I'm being too soft on I her. I don't know because I don't listen to you. You listen to me. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure whatever I said will satisfy no one and uh, piss everybody off in one way or another. But, hey, it's my opinion, baby. Yep. And that's what I'm here for. <laughs> that's what you're here for. <laughs> this isn't being piped into your living room. You decided. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, we're going to see things shift, I think, pretty radically as this primary kind of accelerates uh we're going to figure out pretty quickly which side AOC is on. Um, you know, you, you think the best of people as much as you can, um, but she's just one person. And if she disappoints us again, we'll be okay because, you know, that we, we, we have higher standards. Like that's the, that's the biggest thing. Well, and let's, no and also, matter let's what be happens. clear, like as the election or this, this presidential race heats up, um, Bernie is going to disappoint us at least a couple times oh, yeah. going forward. I mean, he, he already has on a few things. Yeah. But like, this is going to happen yeah. for sure. Yeah. So grow up. <laughs> but like, we're going to, it, like, the, the biggest thing that Bernie gave us was higher standards. I like that's what the, the first campaign brought us is now that people are like, actually, we could just have socialist healthcare. This is normal. You know, we talked about like the Overton window and the, the realm of acceptable discourse or whatever. He expanded that. So ma no matter what, we're not going to be left with nothing. But, you know, politicians are people and they're going to disappoint you. And I don't know. I, I don't I don't know what's going to happen with AOC. But, uh, you know, you got to give people a path back, room to come back. And uh I, I'll, Hopefully I, she'll wise the fuck up. <laughs> I, I will do that um, certainly after she announces her endorsement of Kamala Harris. <laughs> so until then, guys, 
Uh, uh, cheers. Talk Bye. Bye.